South Connection listeners, welcome back to the Ruthless the Aggressive Podcast, episode number 59. It's pay-per-view night, which is always fun. Uh, tonight we'll be covering No Way Out 2003, um, an interesting little bridge pay-per-view. These February ones are always interesting, if not always the most memorable, but we'll see what we can... Um, it's it's an interesting card we have here. Um, I'll bring in my guest. He requested this show um, quite a while ago, and um, I'll kind of ask, uh, we'll get into why in a second. I'll let him speak on that. But my my guest is uh, my good pal, Mr. Uh, James Grunberg. What's going on, Gruny? Hey, Jake. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm ready to uh, to go live from Montreal for No Way Out 2003. Um, so what was it that made you uh, request to do this show, Gruny? Do you have fond memories of No Way Out 2003? <laughs> Well, Jake, when you always ask people, like, what does the year mean to them? You know, uh-huh. this was the year of tapes. I did not order uh-huh. these pay-per-views live. My friend would tape them on blank videotapes, put them in the recorder, and he would give them to me. So this is the first one that I watched on a blank videotape. Wow. So so before this, you, were, you had the privilege of ordering most of the shows before this one, like getting the paper. Um, yeah, I only actually had one. No, I actually only had um, uh, two at the time. Uh, one was from 2002, which was uh, Survivor Series, which actually my first pay-per-view. I didn't get digital cable until late in the okay. game or pay-per-view in late in the game. So I got Survivor Series got and then the new year. So I was only allowed like three pay-per-views a month of um, of shows. And then I was like, oh, you know, do I want to watch? I think I want to do Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, and like SummerSlam. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, what's funny is that, so I did not 
my friend videotaped this. He actually videotaped WrestleMania for me. I didn't order that because it was too long. So I ordered Backlash instead. And then he taped um, No Mercy 03 as well for me. Wow. So it sounds like by 03, you were getting kind of uh, hot and heavy into it, right? You were locked in getting these pay-per-views. Uh, oh, yeah. It's an mm-hmm, yeah yeah so um, yeah it's it's an interesting time as we'll get into quite a transitional period here but uh, I'm glad to have you on Grudy we'll 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 go into the show and um, you know if you have any memories of the time we'll get to them as we go to it but glad to have you on I'm glad you have um, I'm glad you're this this was kind of so um, we're still a thing for a bit but we're kind of getting to that point where like, the tape thing from you know 90s thing of taping all the shows um I, like i said i'm we're still taping at this point but we're getting into the later stages of the tape stuff i would imagine here in 03 mm-hmm. yeah do you remember what um do you remember like your last actual vhs tape that you got was that's always a fun um, kind of little... yeah um i think um well, the last one, I, like, there are a couple. I remember getting, um, I bought No Mercy 02 at the WD restaurant before it went out in January of 03. Okay. I bought that. I actually bought the Raw 10th Anniversary show. And uh, then the really last one I bought was WWF No Mercy 01 on videotape. Uh, I can imagine the markup of the at the restaurant. Uh, I'd imagine it was not cheap to buy a tape or a DVD from the uh, WWE restaurant. No, I don't think it was. But I was like, I want No Mercy 02. <laughs> I want to watch that Undertaker out in the cell with Brock Lesnar. <laughs> Good show. You can find the archives. I believe uh, Marcus was with me on that. Who was on the last time. Anyway, um, let's get into the shows. All the way out 2003. We were live from Montreal. Of course, infamous for the Montreal screw job. You're always good at this trivia. I should have probably looked this up before, Gritty, but this is the first time back in Montreal since the screw job. Yeah, so, um, maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm. everyone has said that it is the first uh pay-per-view in Montreal since um since Survivor Series ninety-seven. Uh they did a raw mm-hmm. In Montreal after WrestleMania 18 from Toronto mm-hmm. last year. Yeah, but I, right, first pay per view, so it'll be interesting, and um, it'll, it'll come into play a, a little bit as we know that Shawn Michaels is on the roster. We'll see if he makes it plays out. But um, all right, but uh, we will dive into the show. I should mention, I believe Aaron George mentioned that he was at this um uh, at the show, so. Aaron, we'll see if it was a worthy show for him. But uh, also, a quick note: we have Coach on commentary because uh, Jr. is out, or at least we're told he's out to start the show after getting the cinder block broken on his head by Eric Bischoff in the Go Home episode. Uh, Gurney, any memories of that? The uh, Jr. getting his uh, pushed in by the cinder block. Uh yeah, and I totally forgot that the coach actually opened the show. I was like, Coach, and like that's so <laughs> weird, like. It's the coach opening the show. Right. And he's, he's been in the spots he's been given um, with this. 
stuff. Like they've worked him in. He's been fine. He hasn't like blown me away or anything. But I also don't think he's been like. Uh, we'll see how we do in this little uh, pay per view debut here. Uh, yeah, we will. Uh, we'll match. Yeah, we'll kick it off for the opening match. It is going to be Y two J versus uh, Jeff Hardy. And I, uh, Marcus and I last episode that bit of a, a last minute pivot because up to this from the rumble uh up until about a week or two ago this really had been built as a jericho and test feud but the last minute test just kind of disappeared in the last week or so we built to him versus uh y2j versus jeff hardy and uh you know sean michaels and jeff hardy having this little mentor mentee relationship but uh i'll let wrestling trivia gritty do you know what the story is about why test was not like why he was quickly exited from this feud do you know the story here? No, but no, I do not. I do not know why. Uh, apparently, he and Stacy pretty tame answer, but they're like late for a show for something or something. Or I actually believe it's the raw. I don't, I don't know if it's the one that I just covered, but obviously this is like January, February, so I think there was like inclement weather, and they blame that for not, and they like no show to something, some kind of show or kind of punished for it. Which is the you know always a double standard with these things like the, like I'm sure if like Triple H or you know under to a show or missed a show because of snow they probably wouldn't punish them but that's what happened to test um, shout out to Ryan Everett for uh, giving me that info yeah I saw that and I was like well uh, how many times has Jeff Hardy been late to a show and he gets this. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's an ironic guy to have as a replacement, Jeff Hardy. But uh, anyway, so they kind of built this um, quickly week with, uh, like I said, with Jeff Hardy kind of up with Shawn Michaels, Y2J, obviously a few that with Shawn's or since actually before the Rumble. So they're kind of using this here, as we all know, that's where we're headed. They do say at first that Sean has been, I don't know if they say he's like banned or that he didn't show up to the building, that it's Montreal. So we'll see if that holds up. So they're kind of they're um, hinting well, that Sean's not going to be banned. here. Uh-huh. He's banned. Oh, okay, banned. Coach and like Eric Bischoff. Okay. Eric Bischoff banned Sean Michaels. Right. So we will see if he, uh, if he but anyway, so uh, the match itself, we start off and they work a pretty good pace, a nice little back and forth. It's uh, a lot of Jeff going for his kind of um, sloppy but kind of uh, wild high spots while Jericho's constantly cutting him off, playing the heel really well here, making all of Jeff's moves, I thought, look impactful when he does hit him. Um, but just heel control by Jericho. But um, like I said, he's so good at his heel control that whenever Jeff does go for a hope spot, it's pretty well. Jeff- crowd dynamic here as it always seems like these canadian shows are it's like popping for jeff hardy but they're kind of in the jericho too they're honestly kind of cheering both guys anything both of these guys are doing but um jericho ends up getting the walls in the center of the ring fight to the ropes uh he's able to maybe fights out he hits a swan and again the crowd is into that even though they've kind of been um into jericho as well jericho does the old classic um, the slow foot on the rope at the last second. Um, uh, Jeff goes for another swanton, misses that one. Jericho turns. Um, they both trade off some flash pins, some good um, 
uh, counters here. There's one that was a bit sloppy, like Jeff goes to um, count of uh, Jericho's pen attempts, and it looked a little bit sloppy. Jeff goes for a run off the top rope in a cool little finishing spot. As he's going for the run, Jericho kind of just twists him in balls. And this time, Jeff could not escape, and he ends up tapping to the walls of Jericho. So uh, uh, Jericho ends up getting the win here. But I enjoyed this. So those are uh, Gurney. It was some good heel work by Jericho, and I Jeff looked well. I thought I thought Jeff was a good pairing for Jeff because he can kind of hold the match together and kind of work the he can work the pace. A Jeff Hardy match. I felt he kind of reigned Jeff's spots and like piece into an actual match because Jeff can get a little all over the place at times. Jericho was a good kind of um, good ring general to have him and maybe. I thought he made Jeff Hardy look really good in this match. So I ended up going three on it. Um, we'll talk about the post-match after, but uh, what did you think of this little opener, Gurney? I went two and a half on it. And um, okay. I said uh, Y2J chance from the fans. So they're behind Jericho and Jeff Hardy. I feel like they kind of made Jeff Hardy make, made Jeff Hardy too much of an underdog. Like he really had no chance of beating um, Jericho in this match. I said a nice somersault to the outside by Jeff. Uh, Ching had a very, like, very funny line. He asked if Jeff wor- worked for Sherwin Williams because of all the paint in his hair. <laughs> right. Um, of course. I like the, um, I always like when people get the knees up when Jericho goes for the lion salt, like the counter, like they put their knees up. Mm. And then um, a really good, like, the finish was good, the power bomb into the wall. So I gave it two and a half. Um, I, I thought it was better. I thought it was better than uh, you know, like what I thought other people would have thought too. So two and a half for me. Perfect. Yeah, that was a good solid opener. Um, so post match, HBK, HBK show actually does show up despite being banned uh, because Jericho won't break the hold even after Jeff is long submitted. Uh, Chris goes after Sean. Uh, he is in a very 2003 outfit. He has these gigantic real pants on in this. Uh, Kind of like a Henley sweater. I just look extremely early here. But uh, they both come at Sean. Sean gets the double DT. And then Christian uh, with kind of cleans house and gets the little face moment, even after Jericho picked up his win. So I have to say, Gritty, he did not get – there were definitely some boos in there for Sean, but it wasn't like he got booed. A, a bit of a mixed reaction. So – uh, maybe some of the the wounds are starting to heal for Montreal. Again, the crowd wasn't like completely against them. It wasn't like just a sea of booze. Uh, it, oh no! Like oh, 50-50, right? Yeah, like I mean, they, you could hear the booze of like people who still remember Shawn Michaels from 1997. And uh, the King has a really great line. Also, he's like, "Well, it's the end of the it's." The match is over, so Shawn Michaels is good. You know, even though he's banned, the match is over, so Shawn Michaels can come come out now, you know? So that's why also that Shawn Michaels came out. Even though he was banned, the match is over. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's something we're going to see a lot of the show, that a lot of what we get coming out of these matches is just trying to set the table for Mania because we kind of know that's where we're going with Jericho and Shawn, and so it makes sense that after Jericho, we would kind of end that uh, the focus would be on him and, and Sean. Uh, sorry, him and Jericho. Jericho, and Sean, you want to say it? Going out of this yep. match. So good opener. We'll keep on chugging. So 
All right, we head backstage. We have Team Angle. Pre- uh, we have Angle, I should say, prepping his team for uh, the hostile Canadian crowd. He says that the crowd is mostly just jealous because they have never had an honorable Olympic gold medalist, not one that they could uh, be proud of anyway. And he says that he has an idea that will give his team an advantage. So we'll see what he means by this. But, um, yeah, I always enjoy these. I've been enjoying these since they started Team Angle. Anytime when Kurt playing the coat, it's kind of fun. And I like that he got in the uh, – kind of Kurt dig at the uh, Canadian fans. Yeah, he also called Brock Lesnar a gorilla, and then he called Benoit an edge to Canucks. <laughs> right. Good old Kurt insults here, but good stuff. But we'll yeah. see what he means as to um, what can give them an advantage Bernie. Find out in a minute. Um, evolution arriving. Um Tons of, uh, I don't know if it was real leather or pleather or what, but if it was real leather, uh, many cows died to uh, of, um, of evolution here because there are plenty of pleather going on. <laughs> Good old evolution. It's a mystery. Uh, anyway, so they're in the building. And we will head on to our next match. So this is continuing from the Raw side, because, of course, we are still in co-branded shows here. Um, we're going to have our tag match, which is going to be Regal and Champions now for, I guess, the past month or so. Uh, pretty much since Chief Morley got on the scene and kind of gifted them the titles. They're going to be facing uh, RVD and Kane, who they've kind of been building up a bit more lately as challengers here. Um, and again, like I said, Really pushing on commentary, the storyline is that Regal and Storm have never really, have not really earned the titles, but they were just kind of given to them by Morley. Morley kind of screwed the Dudleys out, and then, you know, ever since then they've been kind of protected by Morley. Um, we start off with RVD firing kicks. I thought this whole sequence in the beginning with Storm and RVD was really cool. RVD's hitting some of his kicks. Storm had some, some uh, counters to it. Like sweep the legs and Storm just jumps like it's a jump rope, which of those, you know. But either way, RVD's just firing at him. Can't really get momentum either. Uh, Kane comes in, he starts slamming Regal. So it's all uh, the heels try to stall, but when they try and stall, they uh, and regroup. RVD just dives on them to the outside. So just not relenting here. Storm slows them down a bit by pushing RVD off the top. RVD takes a pretty sick bump uh, outside. Uh, Storm goes to work on a nice little heat segment, dissecting RVD. Um, just, you know, normal Storm kind of technical beatdown. Uh, but RVD is able to get a hot tag to Kane. Kane comes in, starts. starts um, they go after the heels, go after his mask. It ends up over his eyes in a kind of a goofy spot for the finish, I thought. So Kane has around his eyes and he accidentally chokes him, RVD. So um, he's trying to recover with the mask. And of course, Regal, I forget who got the pin, but uh, Regal or Storm pins him after the choke slam. So basically, uh, Kane's mask cost them the, uh, the cost of the match. So did like the match. I thought, again, the, the finish was a little goofy. I felt like even not being able to see, you probably could be able to tell who you're holding. Um, I know what they were going for. They're just trying to find a way to kind of push this along, and I guess they didn't want to give RVD and Kane the belt, so um, 
But I do dig the team of RVD and Kane. I think it works really great in the tag match. And I thought Storm, particularly on the other side, was really good in his moments, like working over Reg. Sorry, working over RVD in that opening sequence too. So I on this one as well. I thought this was another good match, despite not being the biggest fan of the uh, finish, James. Um. Yeah, I'm sorry. What did you go on in again? I went three on this one as well, just like I did on the Uh Okay, yeah, I went um, another two and a half. Um, I said that uh, I said that um, you know both RVD and Kane, uh, both RVD and Lance Storm were very physical with their offense. RVD uh, has always great feet. His uh, is always great with his feet. That somersault plancha by RVD, and I said nice kicks by Lance Storm. Um, I, then, you know, like when Kane gets in there, it's all fun because he's literally just throwing, um, Regal and Lance Storm around. And that's what makes Kane great. Him just like molding, mulling over people, mowing over people. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of enjoyed the mask gripping, you know, it was a good way. Like it's yeah. a, it's a good heel tactic and, you know, Kane can't see who, who does he have? So. Um, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, two and a half for me. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mind the mask ripping. I, I don't know if I would. I, I, I don't know if I like that. He ends up choke slamming his own partner. Like I, I like, I didn't, I wouldn't mind if that was how they got to the finish. I just thought him choke slamming RVD was a little goofy, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it didn't take away from it tremendously for me. Still thought it was good. So, uh, but yeah, I think so far our first two matches of, uh, on the raw side have delivered pretty well, uh, I would mm-hmm. say nothing like amazing, but two solid outings to get us going here at uh, No Way Out. But uh, speaking yeah. of, uh, we yeah, we saw Jeff Hardy earlier. He runs into his brother, Matt, who's obviously they are separated on uh, brands, but they run into each other at the pay-per-view. Matt runs into his brother and says that the problem is that he stopped being an MFer. So uh, Jeff slaps him. So we will see. I don't know if this is just a one-off that they're doing because of the pay-per-view because they haven't been the same building or are they trying to build to some kind of feud in the future? I guess we'll have to see. I honestly don't even remember. I don't know if you do or any, but I don't really know if this ever goes anywhere. Um, no, because, um, I don't like, I mean, you'll get there eventually, but like, this is the actually like the last pay-per-view Jeff Hardy is on. Right. That makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I guess they just did it because they were both on the show and they just wanted, I don't know, they always feel, I feel like they always feel the need to do some little backstage segment. Like they, they'll never just stack the matches back to back. So I guess they just needed something and they thought it was kind of, I don't know, might as well do it since they're both here, I guess was yep. the thinking. Right. All right. So with that, we will keep chugging along. Speaking of Matt, he's going to be our next match. And he's going to be facing Kidman for the Cruiserweight title on the SmackDown side. Uh, so the story going this, is, of course, is that um, that Matt Hardy had to make weight for this, which he did on uh, the last episode of SmackDown. Um, he's made the weight, and so he's going after Kidman's title. Or Matt facts, Gruny. Matt hates snow and ice. So a bad situation for him in Montreal in the middle of February. And also it says that he takes his tea milk and sweetener. So um, in case you're wondering how he takes his tea. Uh, Cole tells us that Hardy has bulked up since making weight. He's, um, 
I guess saying that uh, kind of put over that he made the weight and he hasn't really stuck to it. And then Taz, and he'll continue throughout this match, goes on this whole thing about him that he says that Matt's been laying off the banana juice, which I don't know what that's supposed to be slang for. I mean, I don't know. If, I mean, obviously banana has some connotations, but I don't know what. I don't know what. what, what, what <laughs> right, so it does get to that point. I think that start of uh, when he gets to the BJ this part, was, but at first, yeah, go ahead. This was so bad on Taz's part. He made absolutely no sense with any of his commentary <laughs> in this match. <laughs> like, dude, it's like you're worse than King Yeh's. Stop. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, he was going for some tazisms here, but yeah, he says that, uh, Matt's laid off the banana juice, which helped him make weight. I don't know, but oh, anyway, well, or maybe he's saying that helped he, or I don't know, maybe if you're saying he laid off the banana juice and now he's bulking back up or that's how he made weight. I've no, I don't know if banana juice helps you yeah. lose weight or gain weight. No clue. But what were you going to add, uh, Gurney? Um, that also, it's, um, during the match, Taz also says that, um, he used to do insiguri kicks. <laughs> There's a line. He's like, oh, insiguri kicks. I used to do insiguris too. What to see. And Maybe Cole's like, okay. Maybe back in the, in the ECW days, you might have thrown. Uh, I mean, I'm guessing it probably wasn't the same style as Kidman. You know, I don't know. If he's <laughs> no. As agile as Kidman, but. Um, while we're on the Taz thing, too, so he, he mentions also during the match uh, that along with the banana juice, because he, he says Shannon is also hooked on the banana juice, the BJ, <laughs> he says. Yeah. And also that um, that Matt is all, um, that Matt is very slick because he covers himself in nut butter. <laughs> so I guess <laughs> he says God. like to, um, to help with this, help with his soreness. Uh, yeah, I don't know what <laughs> shit Taz was on in this match, but was banana and nut butter and everything else. Um, <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, Kidman doesn't have a peanut allergy. But anyway, the match itself. Um, um, uh, so we get going. Uh, a little bit of back and forth feeling out to start. Kidman ends up taking a sick um, ring pose bump off the apron early. I thought that was a pretty nasty bump. Uh, they were definitely playing up in the early going the like Matt bulking back up and just in general, how he's a bit out of place in the cruiserweight division. So he has the power advantage. Uh, Shannon kind of makes his presence known throughout. He gets on the apron a few times, but never enough to really cost uh, Kidman too much. Early going Matt works at, he keeps Kidman down to try and uh, neutralize. Uh, hits a cool, um, uh, like a back suplex to an elbow that Taz calls out that looked pretty cool by Matt. And um, I always, um, I think, given that you're on uh, the era of WCW, that you're a fan of Gurney most, uh, I'm guessing you're a fan of Kidman. On Like, I always dig Kidman's offense. I think it always looks good. It's explosive. Um, he always looks like he's laying it in for a cruiserweight. So are you a fan of Kidman? I'm thinking as a 2000, uh, 99 through 01 WCW mark that uh, you're oh, a fan of Kidman, Gurney? I am a fan of Kidman. I love his uh, his pace. I love his leaps. You know, I love his uh, hurricanas. Whatever Kidman does, it just looks like it's so professionally done. And mm-hmm. Kidman just 
knows how to do things, you know, like he doesn't really botch that much. It doesn't seem like he did land stuff perfectly. Right. He is. Um, no, especially for the stuff he pulls off. His stuff always looks pretty good and he hits things pretty flush. I would agree. But uh, I think it's a good foil of Matt too. I think Matt being a little bit bigger. I've said this before as Matt started doing this whole cruiserweight gimmick is that he's a good guy in here because he's bigger than these guys. So he could kind of work like he's more powerful, but he also is not like that. Like he can work this style. Like obviously the Hardys as a tag team were like a pseudo kind of cruiserweight ish sort of tag team. So he kind of knows how to work this style too. So I think he fits well in here. Um, but Kidman, he hits the twist of Kidman gets hit with a twist of fate and he actually survives it. He kicks out of the twist of fate. So good spot for Kidman there. Um, Kidman uh, goes up top. They kind of both go up top. Kidman pushes him off. But Shannon Moore finally is the difference here. He delays Kidman just a second on the top rope. And Matt runs up. And in a really cool finish, he uh, hits the twist of fate off the top rope to pin Kidman and win the Cruiserweight title. So another solid one, Gruen. I ended up going two and a half on it. Um, And I think... I do like Kidman, obviously, as a wrestler, and I think he's a good cruiserweight champion, but I just think because Kidman doesn't have much going on as a character, they haven't done a whole lot with him, and they don't really seem to be interested in pushing the cruiserweight as just like a pure athlete title. So I'm hoping with Matt and his, you know, a little bit more going on character-wise and as a heel, that maybe Matt can infuse some life into the cruiserweight title with his, um, you know, Matt uh, V1 character, the one point character here. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. Not that I had anything against Kidman. It's just they'd kind of forgotten about Kidman, honestly. But uh, another one here, I'd go two and a half. Another solid match for me, Kearney. Yeah, another one, too. Um, I went two stars. It was very, very good. Um, that hard smack into the steel post uh, that Kidman got. Oh, that looked so, like, that looked like it hurt. Um Matt, Matt is uh, really trying to have the cruiserweight energy and speed. Um, Kim misses the shooting star press at one point, and then he really Matt like that was an awesome twist of fate off the top rope, off the ropes by mm-hmm. uh, by Matt for the win. So I gave it uh, gave it two stars. You know, nothing special, but uh, very good performance by both Kidman and uh, Matt Hardy. So let's see what uh, Matt does with the uh, cruiserweight title, and then it like. Kidman just doesn't have, like, the promo skills, you know? Right. So right. Like, and they don't seem interested. Yeah, like, and they... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they don't seem to want to do more of the WCW thing. Or they just kind of, like, maybe don't focus as much on the character and promos and just kind of have... Uh, like, guys just go out there and have... Matches. They don't really seem very... Hopefully, like, um, this will... Mm-hmm. Yeah, like imagine if we got Ray versus Kidman to open up mm-hmm. WrestleMania 19. Like that's like opening up Starcade like 98 or 99, you know, like just as big, you know. Oh, let's kick it off, man. Yeah, so we'll see if Matt can to get things going there, but I would say again, 3 for 3 so far. These undercard matches are they're going by quick. Um, I feel like they're delivering on what they're supposed to deliver. So I would say a good solid start for the show. Again, we like we've said, nothing spectacular, but three pretty entertaining matches um, so far to kick us off. And the, like I said, moving at a quick pace, no duds by far like um, on the show. But um, what we find out here, though, is we cut to the back immediately after this match, and we see that Edge 
has been laid out and he is receiving some uh, medical attention from the EMT. So, you know, Gary, this could be, could this be what Kurt was alluding to earlier when he said he knows something and give them an advantage? Possibly. Yeah, no, I I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> like I thought, I was like, oh, I beg it, Kurt. Like when even like when I watched it on videotape, you know, I was like, oh, I bet you Kurt Angle had something to do with it, you know. Right. So we'll we'll get an update on Edge in a minute, but certainly it puts his uh, his spot in the match later in jeopardy. Um, but with this, we'll go on to um, match on the. It's going to be Big Show and Taker. We get a long recap package of the kind of odd uh, angle we've been having with all the boxes with Brian coming out of the box. Out of the box. Um, since you weren't on any of those with me, Gruny, would you yeah, the build to this with the uh, all of the uh, randos coming out of the box and the uh, per, the mind games? Well, uh, two things. I really thought the. Um, well, I thought the brother love and the uh, Kendrick one were really funny. Like, you know, like Kendrick coming out as one of those um, telegram people and he's like singing. The Undertaker just destroys him. Right. And then, you know, who knew all this time later that the Canyon thing would be like, you know, talked about again on Dark Side of the Ring. Right. Yeah. Um, I talked about it in the episode, but he took quite a shit kicking in there. Um, in that appearance, I kind of felt a little bit bad for him, and how much he got his ass beat on that one. Hopefully, oh it yeah, well, so sad. It's like, what are we doing? You know, so right. But it's, it's an odd, just a, a strange. And I'm not saying it wasn't entertaining. It was just an odd. Thing, especially for Undertaker, it doesn't seem like some Undertaker would be doing, but they're trying to sort of warm Taker back up. They don't really have anything big for him right now, so he's going to be with Big Show, and so this is kind of the culmination. And it does have some history, I have to say, because um, in storyline, Big Show is the one that put him on the shelf, so it does make sense. That's kind of his first little feud to come back is to get his revenge show. Ooh, right off respect, the stage. But, uh, <laughs> right, um, yeah, like a brutal. Yeah, it was a nice spot whenever he didn't get injured. Um, though the beat down on the go home, not so much, not as impressive as uh, Marcus yeah. and I talked about. Uh, but anyway, one thing I was very pleased to see is that Big Show is back in the um, the one strap singlet. Thank God that he is not in the awful like tank top in the baggy black jeans tucked in to the tank top. The tank top tucked into the black jeans with a belt. That looked horrendous. I'm glad, even if he's maybe not in the greatest shape, he's not wearing that horrible outfit. I'd rather be out of shape and wear the the singlet than wear that god awful attire that he's been wearing. So that's that's a plus for this match, right out of the gate. Um, but Taker, this was, um, you know, we definitely saw it. I think in the Brock stuff, but I feel like this whole match, you're really starting to see the first real glimpse into like MMA Taker. Like, he definitely comes out with the soup bones early on, laying in the taker. He hits the apron leg drop. Um, but then Big Show kind of goes back at him. He punches a chair in the taker's face, which is actually a pretty nice spot. And um, I thought in the early going, they had some pretty decent energy here, g- given who's in there, and um, especially given what Big Show's been you know, up to lately. He hasn't really been looking too great. But I thought they were moving at a pretty good pace until it started to drag a bit when um, 
Big Show starts dropping the elbows. Big Show kind of starts to go on offense and control. And I thought it started to slack a little bit there. They go straight to they do a bear hug. So again, kind of grinds down. Uh, lots of Big Show punches. Taker trying to fire back and get any momentum back. He does for a second. He gets old school, but Show counters with his own uh, snake eyes to bust Taker open on the turnbuckle. Uh, Taker actually flips him over and gets into a dragon sleeper. So again, we're getting those, uh, you know, Taker going more to the striking and submission style, which is, you know, a big departure from the Taker of even just a few years ago. Um, but uh, Taker dives. Um, a train shows up. Taker dives on him and Heyman, and um, that Taker dive always when he hits it, it is a very impressive. Anytime he does hit it, pretty flush. Like just a guy of his size flying like that always looks good. But uh, the delay though allows Show to recover. He gets a choke slam. But Taker is able to turn the pen attempt into the triangle choke, and he chokes Show out, and he basically like kind of passes out or taps out in the triangle choke. So um, I thought it was a little bit long, given who's in there. I don't think I think this went over ten minutes, and I don't know if really Big Show's built for that, but it didn't hurt it that much. Besides that kind of slow spot in the middle of Big Show on offense, I thought um, I thought this is actually better than I expected it to be. Like. Um, and I'm kind of digging the taker bringing in the MMA stuff with the, you know, the triangle choke finish, the dragon sleeper, kind of going more for those, um, you know, MMA style strikes with the soup bones that would become such a, like such a meme in the future. But yeah, I thought taker, I think he kind of carried this. He kind of brought big show up in this. And, uh, I continue to be impressed by taker since I've started in late two. And even now with his return, like he's kind of bringing it in the ring, like, he rarely completely disappoints me, uh, whatever he's in the ring. So I ended up going two and a half on this one. And again, for big show in a 10 minute plus match, I think two and a half is pretty damn good. I, um, I went above you by one. I went three stars. Um, I, I really, um, I really enjoyed this. Um, I forgot how good the big, um, Big Show, I thought, looked good here. Like, you know, like, he looked like he was in better shape mm-hmm. than what we've seen him. Like, he was just looking like a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, And, like, they're really looking good. Like, they're moving really well. Like, in the beginning, like you said, uh, like, they're really moving. It's like strength versus strength or, like, you know, strength versus, like, smartness. Like, what can Undertaker do to lift the Big Show and everything? But um, the Big Show is, like, literally just squeezing the life out of The Undertaker. Um, and the incredible showing of The Big Show's power. I said, uh, like, when I saw it again, the holy crap. When Undertaker took the did the dive over the top rope on the A-train and uh, Paul Heyman, that was insane. Like, for a guy his size and, like, you know, if he was, like, still trying to recover from everything, you know. And it's like, if you can't lift the big shell, make him go to sleep. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I don't think he was getting him up for the tombstone, for sure. <laughs> or the uh, the last ride would have been um, a little difficult. So, anyway, so we get... Uh, and I, I should mention that after the match... Um, After the match, we get um, we get A Train coming out. He hits a derailer, so possibly to continue this feud uh, on a bit longer here. 
Yeah, it's um like, you know, we'll see it. Um, you know, we see it here and then we see it, you know, um, like we'll see it at our at our main event, you know, like some of the heels are uh looking strong, even though they lose, you know, they um they're they're looking strong because Undertaker, you know, he gets attacked by uh Big Show and uh A Train afterwards and they walk off like, Yeah, we got one over on the Undertaker. Right. And again, another maybe not super obvious here that that's where they're going, but another match where, like you just mentioned, in the post match, they're kind of setting up where they plan on going for. So I do like that aspect of the show, how they are really because it's really I mean, it's honestly what this show is meant to do. It's a bridge between, you know, what has been set up kind of around the Rumble and then to bridge you to WrestleMania. So I do like how they have a clear focus going into Mania for a lot of these undercard things. Like you could tell that probably um, big shows, I mean, Taker's going to be involved with these two, like we said earlier, Jericho and Sean. So I do like that they're kind of showing their hand for Mania and like they have a clear focus going in and hopefully they can hit the ground running after this show into the Mania, yeah. build, which is always a good thing. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but who we'll not see, we head back to get uh, an update on Edge. He's been carted off. He leaves the match. Uh, sorry, he uh, leaves the building in an ambulance uh, to be. He's going to be at a local medical facility, the famous term. But um, it definitely leaves his status. So the match later is in limbo because we don't know. Will they be able to find a replacement in the six-man tag? Will they have to go on without him? So we'll have to see what happens there. But um, we go, and I think we can mention here, but I'm pretty sure the story here, I haven't looked at it yet, but I'm pretty sure it's that he, this is when he has the neck injury, right, Gurney? Oh, this, yep, this is right, this is it for him. This is it. Like, this is last, um, mm-hmm. last appearance, and uh, I don't even think, like, I'm surprised he couldn't even work the match. It was, like, in so much pain, and, like, I guess he knew a couple of days before, he's like, I know you got me advertised, but you need to like pull me off the of TV and just do something. So, um, yeah. And even at the post match, like we see, like again, like we'll see it here too. But um, this one was questionable as well to where we were going with WrestleMania. Like, so this is the end of Edge until 2004, basically. Right. So, and it's, and it, I know it's been said a bunch, but it's real unfortunate. I mean, he definitely, they have him pegged for big things. I mean, I don't know how quickly, but he's definitely been on the upswing and he had a, a super good O2 and he's been one of the stars of SmackDown. Obviously he's, this is kind of like, even though he's not in the title match, he's with the main event players on SmackDown. I um, mean, had the great stuff with Ray. It's really been like a, a breakout year for him as a single star. And so for this to happen is really kind of unfortunate for edge, but thankfully he would recover as we'll see um, later in the timeline. But yeah, unfortunately the last we'll see of him for a minute. Um, so we'll see, maybe we'll get Savio vacant. The uh, six man we'll see in a, just a second. <laughs> <laughs> the, cur- the no way out curse, right? Like uh, somebody yeah. in these six mans. Anyway, all right, but before we get to the sixth man, we head to Vince, who speaks with uh, Eric about his match uh, later with Stone Cold. Uh, Vince does the classic, like, Vince hard sell for the match, saying that it's the Texas Rattlesnake 
versus the man who fired him, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and Vince, uh, so Eric, of course, has bragged that even though he has to face Stone Cold, he gets to pick the stipulation. And Vince here kind of shits all over that. He says that he wants to see it as a straight match with no interference, and he'll fire anyone who interferes. So throwing the um, water on, you know, putting a damper on the idea that Chief Morley may be able to save Bischoff's ass in this match. So it pretty much sets up Eric for a shit-kicking from Stone Cold here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, um, another thing I will point out, while the fans do uh, mm-hmm. boo Vince, they were very happy that at least, you know, he was smiling like, oh, no, you're not going to have any help. You can take him on yourself. So the fans were cheering because they know Bischoff is a dead man when he gets in with Stone Cold. Right. Um. It, yeah, he's definitely they have this whole thing with Vince where when he's dealing with Eric, he leans more face. And then when he's on the SmackDown side with Hogan, he's like super heel. So they kind of play both <laughs> sides with Vince. And, it, and I mean, it, it works. I mean, for what they're doing. So if Harvey Dent was right. a real so person, was, it's mm-hmm. Vince. <laughs> <laughs> Come in this day and age, in the present time, he sort of looks like Harvey Dent, but <laughs> looks like Two Face. But anyway, we'll uh, we'll head to the six man, or as we see now, it's going to be, I guess, a five man because. There is no replacement for Edge. Benoit and Brock are just going to have to go in it as a tag team. So it will be kind of like a handicap match. We have Team Angle versus Brock and Benoit. So, again, no Savio Vega here to save the day. It's going to be three on two. Um, (laughs) um, So we start the match. Of course, like you'd kind of expect, the young guns get fed to Brock and Benoit early. It's just Haas and Benjamin in there getting their asses beat. So nice little early um, beat down by Benoit and Brock until Angle – and they did a good job of this, like that angle. They really put over angles like the veteran and he's got his two rookies. And so he does all these little things to kind of help them out and to kind of save the team a bit. Like he gets involved here. He, I think he grabs Benoit um, or Brock in the, um, on the apron kind of delays them. And that it was Brock. And then they start to work over Brock. So he kind of sees that his boys are in danger, um, kind of cheats a little bit, gives them an advantage and lets them kind of, um, get a little bit of momentum going um, that uh, angle ends up an angle gets him in that, that uh, rear choke he does. is just wicked. Like he's really got it cinched in on Brock, but a good little beat down on Brock by team angle um, until Brock runs Kurt into the turnbuckle. And as he always does, angle just takes a vicious bump. Like his head just smacks against the um, turnbuckle. Like <laughs> dude, just like, <laughs> I don't know. He just gets the hell beat out of him of all times. But a uh, good change of momentum spot, I thought, right there. And they have, they're all pretty good. Like I said earlier, when Angle cheats to give his team the momentum and then Brock ramming him into the turnbuckle, a lot of good. Um, I thought it helped the match flow well, the way they worked in all these spots to kind of change who has the advantage. Benoit comes in. He does the – we get a German fest. But, again, ends up saving his boys as he runs in and hits the top row belly to belly on Benoit to cut that off. Uh, you could really see, I thought, in this match, like Brock style evolving as uh, we haven't really seen him in ring a whole lot since he's been face because he kind of had the he did the big show stuff. And then I guess I think he was kind of hurt. So he's been on TV, but hasn't really been wrestling a lot. But you could see him as he's turned to a face. He's moved from like the heel monster that he was when he first debuted. Now he's just more of like an all around athlete in the same kind of vein as Kurt, like maybe a little more power than Kurt. But he's definitely not just working like he's, you know, like when he debuted, he was much more, um, like I said, just like a powerhouse. And now he's kind of 
they're definitely pushing on um, leaning into his amateur background and stuff. But uh, I love the team angle. Leapfrog, double team spot by Hassan Benjamin is nice. Um, Brock's hot tag after this is excellent. Just launching these dudes with the uh, belly to bellies is great. Everyone in the match was bumping their ass off, going crazy. Brock ends up getting drop kicked out while he's got. Um, I forget who he is. I think he is Kurt up for the F5, and Hosser Benjamin drop kicks him out. Angle tries to sneak a belt shot um, and uh, ends up eating an F5, kind of just chaotic in the end. And that ends up, when he eats the F5, that leaves Haas to tap in the crossface. And um, Team Angle actually pick up the loss despite having the numbers advantage. Brock ends up holding the title and kind of staring them down to uh, in the match. But yeah, this was a banger, Grooney. Um, I ended up going three and a half on it. Very good match. Uh, great bumping. Um, everyone hitting their spots. Super entertaining. Just um, a real, I thought it was, again, like we said, they're hitting the build up to WrestleMania really well because I felt coming out of this match, you're you're ready for the, you're ready for the real push to WrestleMania with Brock and Angle after this kind of hot tag match. Again, I thought everybody played their roles well. Uh, Brock looked like a beast. Kurt looked good. Team Angle, I thought, played, were good, but still kind of came off as rookies like they should. Just everything kind of worked out, I thought, the way it should. So three and a half, another um, – I thought this was a great match, Gurney. I went three and three quarters. Um, their crowd right. was very excited for Benoit and Brock. Um, nice agility by Team Angle and Benoit. Uh, Brock is just being a beast in the ring. You know, the nice, I always said Shelton Benjamin had a nice sidekick, like it almost looked like a super kick. And then it's mm-hmm. always fun when Benoit gets his German suplexes. I enjoy a really nice belly to belly off the top rope by Angle. Nice teamwork by Team Angle. I always love the leapfrog maneuver by uh, Haas and Benjamin. A very fast pace and the F5 to angle and the cross face to Charlie Haas. Really great finish. Um, I will say, because I thought they could have had a replacement, Mm -hmm. because we see him in the back while they're watching Stone Cold and Eric Bischoff. I thought Ray Mysterio could have been mm. a third guy for Chris Benoit and Brock Lesnar. And it's funny, he was on heat uh, defeating Jamie Noble. But I, mm. when I heard that, I was like, I think Ray could have been the sixth man. And that would have made it, I think, even mm. more fast, like even more high flying, like action but they wanted to go with the three on two and um it, it was still very an exciting match i just thought ray mysterio could have been in there and i don't even know if like they wanted john yeah. cena i don't even know if john cena was a baby face still but like i thought one of those two and they're not even like on the pay-per-view right so it would have been so cena at this point he, he's like heel and he's kind of got a he had recently kind of cut a promo setting the sights on Brock. So he's kind of got shit with Brock going on. But yeah, the Ray thing, I mean, you're totally right. I mean, especially it's well established on SmackDown who the three, like the baby face side and the heel side is. So no, I'm with you. I, I wonder what the the rationale was uh, of why. I don't know. Maybe they just wanted it because it just puts more um, kind of sympathy on Brock and uh, kind of makes him seem even more like the underdogs kind of, I guess. 
and makes Brock look even more dominant. Yeah, it's a, I don't know, or maybe they just wanted more of that shine to be on Brock and if you have one less guy. But yeah, it is interesting that, I mean, they obviously have guys who could have fit in here and, and work. Like you said, Ray would be perfect. And I'm sure they could have stuck anybody in the dark match with Jamie Noble and been fine. But yeah, yeah, yeah it'd be, I don't know, I, I don't know what their thinking was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I don't know. It's a good point. I wonder what their reasoning was as to why just go the uh go with the three on two but and either way it worked out Mm -hmm. yeah and then also jake i don't know where they were what they were deciding around this time but angle making it to wrestlemania i still think was in the air because of his neck like in 2002 he broke his neck in like a December house show with, I think, Brock or Big Show, and he got hurt badly. And this is like when they're like, what do we do at WrestleMania? Like, and Kerb was like, I can go. Like, are you sure? But I still think up until this point, it was still up in the air. And they were just like, do we just give the title to Brock and have Ben Wago against him? Like, what do we do? You know, so I still think the smack, the main event for WrestleMania was up in the air, like deciding can Kurt even go to WrestleMania? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. And now I have to get when we get into the uh, the WrestleMania build and I look at the uh, the observer notes and stuff. I, I could be wrong, but I want to say even in this match, you might have tweaked it a bit. Like, I want to say he kind of, because you're right, like, in the past since the Rumble, they've been using him kind of sparingly. And I actually think that's part of why they brought Team Angle in, is to kind of take some of the load off of him, where they could focus on him without him having to be in the ring so much. But I want to say even in this, maybe it's when he popped his head off the turnbuckle like a maniac. But I want to say he even kind of tweaked something in this match with his neck or... I mean, he's always, I mean, the guy is perpetually, just his style is rough on the body. So it wouldn't surprise me if something happened here. But yeah, definitely, it'll be interesting to read that as we go into mania of like them trying to decide, like, like obviously they've been building to Brock Angle for a while, but yeah, will Angle be able to make it there as a, I mean, obviously he does, but we'll see what his state is, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah. Right. But again, like I keep saying it, but another good job of building to what they want to go to for Mania with Brock and Angle, as they've been doing with this whole undercard. And this first kind of half of the show, I feel like is really hit. Like, you know, like we said, there's nothing like all time classic. I mean, I think this tag match is pretty, I mean, this is a pretty good match. Yeah, this is the all time mm -hmm. classic for like this undercard. Right, but even like the stuff we said earlier, like there's been nothing where we came out of it saying like that it sucked or that was boring. So I will say this first half of the show hits pretty well, you know, even for maybe not being like the most important matches you're ever going to see. I do think they delivered as a solid undercard. Now we will see if the, you know, the quote unquote bigger matches here, um, how they're going to deliver. So we'll get into our first title match. Um, well, really our only, I guess our world title match from Raw, which is going to be the big rematch uh, between Scott Steiner and Triple H. We get uh, a video package with the theme song to this show, Grooney, which is... Would you like to tell us the bring theme me song? To, bring Me to Life by Evanescence. Very good. So we get um, 
a video package of these two that, you know, trying to make this feel like legit and epic, where in reality, as I've been covering on the TV, they definitely seem like they're ready to move on from Scott Steiner. I mean, you know, kudos to them. They're always good at these video packages. They can really turn chicken shit into chicken salad with these. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, the video package tries to make it look cool, but the build has been not spectacular. Like, they're ready to move on from Steiner. This whole match is just. They're just doing it just, I guess, because they needed something to do. But the bring me to life thing is weird here, too, because, I mean, I don't know. It makes it seem like they would be like lovers or something <laughs> like like they have to bring each other to life. Like, I feel like that song is about like someone trying to show you, like, like bring you I out of that. like a slump in your life or something. So I don't know. It was a weird like two two buff guys with the evanescence. <laughs> kind of made it seem like they were lovers or something. But, but I really cool like this build up, you know. I like to build up, like, the bring the light build up. Right. Again, the video package, look, skip all the raws and just watch that video package and you'll, you'll be, you'll be better off than watching. That might be the the MVP of the show. (laughs) Right. They always are, man. The, you can never give enough credit to the WWE video package people. I mean, they're top notch wherever they get them from. (laughs) Um, But anyway, with that epic video package, we now go into this um, ill-advised rematch. Triple H has a huge, like, thigh bandage on here, so that's kind of part of this. Uh, Lots of strikes to start off, back and forth. Steiner's clubbing. Uh, Triple H is doing his kind of methodical strikes. Big Papa Pump ends up taking over a lot of punches, lots of rest holes and chin locks. He starts ripping at the thigh tape, and that kind of becomes his focus here. Kind of works over the leg. But the crowd is just shitting all over Steiner. They want nothing to do with him. Like, the the fall from Survivor Series, when like when he comes out of Survivor Series and gets that huge pop in MSG, and now, just a few months later, like, the crowd just completely... I mean, they're, like, cheering Triple H at points, which is... That is not a good sign when the growler are there. Because the crowd is not like the cheer for Triple H. It's not like Triple H is some cool heel that all the fans like, so... Anyway, Flair interferes. Triple H takes over. Um, I don't think Big Papa Pump's knees are capable of bending. Like, when he does any of these moves, his he's like an action figure without the like retractable knees or like the bendable knees. He just kind of always, his legs never bend. Uh, Earl, Earl Hebner and Triple H end up arguing about something. Uh, and Triple H shoves him, which gets a big pop from the Montreal crowd, which I thought was funny uh, with the Montreal screw drop connection. They obviously <laughs> hate Earl Hebner. So that was funny. Again, more punches. We get a back suplex from the top from Steiner. Uh, he hooks him in the Steiner recliner, which uh, gets Flair to call in the Evolution boys. They come in, they drown for Steiner and get beat up and thrown out of the ring. Then they get ejected. But Triple H uses that distraction to get a belt shot, which Steiner actually kicks out of, only for Triple H to just do a pedigree right after, which gets a huge pop from the crowd when he pedigrees Scott Steiner and gets the one, two, three. Just perfunctory. They just did it because they had to. They tried every little trick in the book with the interference and, you know, but it's just a boring pairing that just doesn't work. Steiner's cooked physically. The crowd reaction just makes the whole match awkward because the one thing maybe you have is that the crowd likes Steiner because obviously he can't really go in the ring anymore. But if the if he's over with the crowd, but the crowd turned on turned on him at the Rumble and has never looked back, they shit all over him. They 
they cheer Triple H. A complete disaster. I know in the company they had to be happy that this was over and they could just move on to something else and that this whole Scott Steiner Triple H thing was is over with. Um, you know, I know a lot of people like wonder why did they even do this again? I, I honestly think they just didn't have anything else and they just thought, you know what, it's just no way out. There's other stuff on the show. Like, I honestly think they just kind of punted with this and they just wanted Triple H to have a match. So throw Steiner out there. They're probably paying him some kind of money. I don't know. I, I can't think it's anything more complicated than that. But um, I want to start and a half on a Gruny. Just, again, just this pairing, just it's kind of boring. The crowd stuff, just everything. I'm so ready to move on from it. It is just a disaster of a feud. <laughs> Yeah, I'm right there with you. I want to start in three quarters. Um, Montreal does not like Scott Steiner. They were saying Steiner sucks. Steiner sucks. <laughs> um, they were cheering everything Triple H did. I didn't put that they were like cheering for Triple H to kick Earl Hebner's butt. Um <laughs> but I always find it funny when Earl Hebner and Triple H go at it. Like that was enter- that's right. always entertaining because Triple H trying to get disqualified, but Kurt Angle, but uh, Earl's like, no, I'm not gonna ring the bell. You're gonna wrestle. Do you understand me? Um, I thought it was a little too much interference by Evolution. You know, you got Ric Flair well, just yeah, like yeah. being up top. I thought it was too much. And I was just like, man. They're really just burying Scott Steiner because at the time, like, I mean, like being, let's say, 10 to 11 years old, I was like, oh, come on. How is the referee like allowing this to happen? It's like, well, because the crowd really didn't like Scott Steiner and they really wanted this to be over with. So I think Montreal, Scott Steiner got buried in Montreal. If he didn't get buried at the Rumble, he got buried here. Right. It's yeah, it's yeah, they were just doing anything that with the interference. It's like they wanted any distract it, I mean the rumble match was kind of the same way. I mean you just feel like they knew that they couldn't just go out there and do a straight match and yeah, so yeah. they have to put all this crap on it. It's yeah, it's there's not a whole lot more you can say about it. It's just it's rough. The the only reason I would watch this is just for the novelty like like we've talked about, it's just a crowd just letting Steiner have it is just you know, brutal. Yeah. Like just to see yeah, how much the, the crowd has turned on him. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. Speaking of the crowd, they are ruthless to the security <laughs> guards here as well. They are just like trying to maul their own like security guards. Like you're not going to stop us from touching the wrestlers. <laughs> like, I think even like the security just gave up. There was like, screw it. We don't want to get beat up by this Montreal crowd. But they were right. so brutal to Scott Steiner. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I noticed that too. Like there were like the security guards right by the barricade, like facing the crowd. And I felt like those guys, the entire, almost like the entire show were just like fighting these people off. These, uh, Oh yeah. These luck. Aaron George in there going wild to be held back by security because he wanted to jump the ring and uh, take Triple H out once and for all. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, we put that behind us. We officially put a put a bow on the, um, again, the disaster that was the Triple H-Scott Steiner feud. So, um, 
our first low point of the night. Again, like I said, we're hitting at a pretty good clip, but that was um but they did put it in the middle of the show because I think they knew what they were dealing with here. But anyway, we'll go to see something that's maybe a little more entertaining, and that is going to be the return of Stone Cold Steve Austin. We get a long recap of this, the long and winding road that has led us to this Eric Bischoff Steve Austin story detailing the 30 days that Vince gave um Eric to to make Raw better, him trying to get Stone Cold, th- almost getting fired, JR saving him at the last minute, the whole the whole saga that has unfolded. So before we get into the the match itself, do you have any thoughts on this whole storyline? Um, I really thought that um I really thought we were getting Shane McMahon coming back. I thought Shane McMahon was hmm. actually gonna come back and I want him to actually return. Um, but I was really excited, like psyched to see Stone Cold um come back as well because like I remember like we're not gonna see Stone Cold for a while. Like he's really mad, you know, at WWE. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, what Stone Cold's coming back? Oh man. And um not until like a little while, like well as I got older, I did not know that um Stone Cold got fired by Eric Bischoff in WCW. Like, I had no idea that was really part of the story until watching it. I was like, oh, really? Like, you know, Stone Cold worked for Eric Bischoff and Eric Bischoff really fired him? Like, you know, being 11, you know, not really knowing the wrestling business and like the whole Monday Night War thing, really, you know, I had no idea. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, now I understand it. Mm. Yeah, it is cool that they brought all that in. I've said that in the build, but I enjoy that they brought those little details in there. Um, I think Jr. Like, just wanted uh, to. Uh, I think Jr. wanted just to rub it in Eric Bischoff's face because Stone Cold became the biggest star. I think Jr. was just shooting on Bischoff for making a big mistake. <laughs> right, like uh, in retrospect, right? Um, speaking Don't of Jr., he's, he's here. Mad you? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but he actually shows up. JR is here, um, despite getting a cinder block smashed over his face um, just a few days before. He is uh, he's recovered enough somehow to make it to the show. I guess he's using um, his miraculous recovery is because he wants to see Eric Bischoff get beat up. So, um, But let's get down to it. So Eric comes out, and um, even before Stone Cold can make it out, Eric's trying to bargain, saying, we don't have to do it this way. We can do it some other way. And before he can even finish talking, I thought this was really well done. Um, the glass breaks, and uh, Stone Cold comes out while he's, like, mid-sentence. And the pop was just huge. The crowd is, I mean, he gets the full-on Austin pop um, on the entrance. It's a really cool moment. And um, from there, it's just a beating. Just Austin hitting everything you'd expect, stomping a mud hole, throwing drinks in Bischoff's face. Um Bischoff goes for the karate kick. Uh, Stone Cold just no sells it. It just it was a very much, and I know Bischoff's not a manager, but it was very much like a manager getting his come up. It's like heel manager match where like the the face finally gets their hands on him after everything and just beats their ass. And that's what this was from Stone Cold. Like it wasn't like the Vince matches where Vince would maybe get a few a little bit of offense here and there, or get a weapon shot or some. This was pretty much a hundred percent. I think he got like one eye poke was the most um, offense Eric got in this match. But um, anyway, so he beats him. He stunners. I think he stunners him like two or three times. The crowd goes wild. He finally pins him. He does a big celebration. 
you know, drinks the beer. It lasts a pretty long time. JR is completely losing it, crapping all over Bischoff. Um, we see the roster backstage celebrating that Eric got beat up. And um, so we go, I mean, obviously the match itself is not some classic match, but I think the whole package, I would probably go like three stars on the entire thing. Like the moment of him returning, you know, the crowd popping for Eric getting beat up, just the whole thing. I thought it was well done as just a complete angle with him returning and, uh, and yeah, I thought like the JR stuff, like it was just a good kind of Austin returning heel Eric, who's been an asshole since he got here, finally gets his come up. And so just a kind of a good package here. So I'd go three stars on it as a full package, maybe not a match, but just the full one. Yeah. As a whole segment of just the, like getting the Montreal crowd, like, cheering stone cold jr going out of his mind one more time stutter him do it um <laughs> you know i would say like it's three that's three stars of just you know everything the beer and everything like stone cold's back and it was just crazy to see stone cold come back and uh you know beat up eric bischoff because you know bischoff's being a bad guy you know and no one better than Texas Rousing to give Eric Bischoff a like to beat up Eric Bischoff. Right. Yeah, it was good. And again, there's not too much you could say about it because it's just straightforward. I mean, they had hyped his return. And to their credit, they they saved it for the pay-per-view and it delivered. Like, I think if you bought the pay-per-view looking for a cool Stone Cold return, I think it delivered on that. And it'll be cool to see what they what direction they go. Because I think at this point, you're not really sure if he shows back up on Raw. What I would say he is somebody that, I mean, unless you're in the know and, you know, reading the dirt sheet stuff, I don't know if you would really know what the plan was for Stone Cold, given how everything is, you know, how everybody, like who you have on each brand and stuff. It's kind of up in the air. What, you know, if he goes to Mania, like what's he going to be doing? Are they going to have something worthy of Stone Cold for Mania? So I would, if I was somebody watching at the time, I would be, tuning into raw to see you know what's what are they going to do with stone cold and they definitely need it on raw on raw they need some juice like who knows like is he going to fucking challenge triple h for the title who knows i mean he's stone cold he could show up the next night and do whatever the hell he wants honestly <laughs> yeah i mean you know with hogan just i mean with austin just coming back you know it's like what do we do after this right like yeah, I could do anything. So there's some definitely some intrigue there. Um, but um, with that moment, we will now get already. Like I said, this is a pretty quick, straightforward show. Like it gets us stuff in and, and gets to it. But um, so we'll get to our main event, which is going to be the uh, the rematch of the epic Rock Hogan match from WrestleMania 18. So Rock Hogan two, if you will, and we are blessed, Gruny, with the debut of the amazing, incredible Hollywood rock entrance, uh, Tron. So it's like this kind of like slow electronic kind of music, with like sweeping shots of like, I'm assuming like the L.A. skyline, the bustling streets, the traffic, the bright lights, um, the, the famous helicopter. It's amazing. Um, again, and he's just getting booed the whole time. And then he comes out to like a slower version of the uh, like a little bit slower tempo version of the normal rock music. So really also, I, I always dug that. I mean, 
it's not anything controversial to say the Hollywood rock stuff is great, but um, it was cool to see this entrance, like him debut this entrance here at the pay-per-view. I think, I don't know if he uses it again, but I think this is the mm-hmm. only time you get the, if your smells are in the oh, right. <laughs> right. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that was odd. Cause at first you're not, you're not sure at first if he's saying it or if it's like the part of the entrance music or whatever. Yeah. It is odd. Yeah. And I kind of think this is like the only time that we hear that from this version. You dig the helicopters and the the streets of LA and all that jazz. Oh yeah, no, I liked the, I liked all of it too. Like you know, it, like the whole tempo, like the like the music. It was just I was like, oh man, here he comes, it's cooking, bam, bam, bam. Yeah, like it, that that was like Hollywood rock theme is a great theme. Oh, that's great. Um, but anyway, then Hogan comes out. He does the full Hogan entrance, kind of standard Hogan thing. It's, it gets a good reaction from the crowd. Um, yeah, I was going to uh, say so the, also, Jake. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I keep on drunk. But Montreal does not like the Montreal does not like the Rock, and it was like Hogan got a huge um, Montreal ovation. Like you know, like the crowd welcomed him. Like we want Hogan, man. Screw you, Rock. Right, and I don't think it's a coincidence that they decided to run this back in Canada because they're probably thinking, well, we did it in Toronto, so the Canadians fucking love Hogan, so let's run it yes. back in uh, you know, Montreal. That's To them, they're probably like, oh, same thing. They'll probably, the Canadians will love him. And, you know, to Rock's credit, he's done a good job, like, on that last SmackDown of getting himself. I mean, he's so good. Like, we, we talked on the last one, just working the crowd against him and pretty much turning himself heel, so... He's done a good job of getting the crowd to boo him because he's rocking. He just knows how to kind of work the crowd. But, yeah, and he got the Hogan pop like they planned. So it gets the reaction that they wanted. We'll see if the match could live up to, you know, honestly kind of like the impossible standard of the first one. Uh, so mm-hmm. Rock kind of stalls on the outside to begin. They kind of play into the Hogan chance. Rock's kind of healing off to the crowd that they keep chaining for Hogan. And we randomly, like you always know, it's like the the smoking gun, like the smoking ref. They just decided to tell us that the ref is a Canadian Sylvain Grenier, which is just like, all right, this seems a little bit odd that we'd have this random person as the ref in a main event huge match. And it's not like Kyoto or, you know, Hebner or one of the main guys. Like, why do we have this? They try and play it off like, well, it's because we're in Canada or something. But it's like, all right, I have a feeling this guy's going to. You know, maybe this role in this match, but anyway, it's a, a lot of rock stooging around for Hogan strikes, kind of do like watered down version of the Shawn Michaels um, that we'd later on. Not quite to that level of comedy, but just kind of bumping around for Hogan strikes. He gets an early rock bottom, but Hogan kicks out of, and they kind of play up that. You know, he hadn't weakened Hogan enough for that to be enough to put him away. Uh, Rock kind of heals off on him, wears the bandana, which I kind of like this because it's almost like Rock is doing the almost like some Hollywood Hogan type stuff to Hogan, which I thought was a cool play, like wearing the bandana, taking the belt off, whipping him with the belt, kind of like the classic WCW Hollywood Hogan sort of shtick. Uh, He locks in his absolutely terrible sharpshooter on Hogan which is made even worse that it's on Hogan because Hogan obviously can't like bend well to sell it. 
you know, they're just going for every trick they can, like all the bells and whistles to try and maybe hide some of the deficiencies. Like Rock goes for a chair. That doesn't work. He hits a, he hits like two people's elbows. Hulk, Hulk, uh, Hogan hulks up, hits the leg drop. Um, but as he hits the big leg, the lights go out. When we come back, the ref is knocked out. Vince comes down the ramp. He's apparently responsible for whatever what's going on. And as this is happening, the ref slides Rock a chair. Rock hits Hogan with the chair, hits the rock bottom, and steals the win due to Vince's uh, Vince's uh, nefarious deeds here. But uh, so, I mean, obviously this is not. I mean, there was. I mean, it's pretty much impossible to recreate what they had at WrestleMania 18. You know, I, the whole point of this was kind of just to. I felt the whole point of this was get in there, get over the Hollywood rock character, and then have Vince to build to the, you know, build, build to man, which I've said it over and over again, is the focus of this show. So from that aspect, I think they accomplish all that. The match itself is kind of whatever. It's just, it's like kind of an old school with Hogan not really physically being able to do a whole lot. And just like sports entertainment stuff, you know, rock healing off, Hogan doing the Hogan stuff, hulking up and all that. So that it just didn't have the, you know, so much of that WrestleMania 18 matches about the ambiance and the atmosphere. And that's just not here. I mean, that would have been an impossible task. But I think for what they were trying to accomplish, I probably end up going like two on it because I do think or as like what their goal was for the match. I do think they accomplished Matt that even if the match itself is kind of just whatever. So two on the match for me, Gurney. Yeah, I went two and a quarter. Um, so, you know, right mm-hmm. in your wheelhouse. Um, like I said, you know, Montreal is Hogan country and, uh, well, I don't know if can Canada's Hogan country, but they sure love Hulk Hogan in Canada. Um, uh, the first rock bottom didn't really get Hogan all the way up. And like they pointed out, well, oh, rock didn't really get all that. I was like, well, that's because Hogan can't really lift in the air. Like, you know, um, both guys laying the whip down, which in surprise wasn't a disqualification in WWE. Um, I like the no finger wave after, before the hand goes down for the three count on the, um, on the sharpshooter, it's like one, two, and then no, no, no. Um, Hogan doesn't get disqualified on the outside for using the chair, even though it was clearly seen by the clearly seen by the referee. Um, Rock mocking Hogan is funny, um, and the finish is really somewhat Survivor Series '97 because a referee helps mm-hmm. the Rock win. As like they might have said, like, "Oh, well, Earl Hebner helped Shawn Michaels win," you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, they. Yeah, I, I think it was at least not quite like they didn't do the whole like screwdriver ring the bell thing at least. But yeah, it's like they always have to do some little. It's got to have a callback, right? Of course. Um, I did like Vince's, you know, healing it up at the end. So, and then after the match, Vince like mocks him, like ripping the shirt, gets a few cheap shot in, cheap shots it, and Hogan kind of stares at him as he goes up the ramp. So, yeah, for um, like really for Vince mm-hmm. McMahon to like be the one like getting his theme played at the end instead of Hogan's, it's like, oh wow, like 
Vince McMahon getting his theme played at the end of a pay-per-view? Like, when do you ever really see that? Right, and I think there's like a moment here where, I mean, we know the match happens, but I think watching at the time, there's probably a moment where you're like, holy shit, they're really going to do like Vince Hogan as a match. This is kind of, you know, it's kind of a big deal. Yep. Right. Um, But again, it's, I don't even think it's worth comparing to the WrestleMania 18 match because it's just, that match is such a, it's such a time and a place thing that it's, you know, and I do think the 18 match is a better actual in-ring match, but I think they're working a completely different kind of deal there. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, again, it accomplished what it's going to accomplish. And to me, that's kind of as we get into our final thoughts on this one, I feel like that's kind of the story of this show. Like, if I were to say the only thing that's outright bad on this show, it's the Triple H Steiner thing, because I do think even though I didn't rate the, the we didn't rate the Rock Hogan stuff, I think the whole package there with Vince coming out and screwing him and kind of setting up, again, setting up the Mania stuff. I think it's worked a little bit more than the match itself, but yeah. the Steiner Triple H stuff is just bad. Kind of just really serves no purpose. Just kind of the Except it's the Barry worst spot Scott of this whole. Except right, right. But and so I think as far as like a no way out, given that this is supposed to be like a bridge show from you know to lead us into WrestleMania. I think it does a pretty damn good job of it. Like, again, you don't really get any big, you know, you could argue maybe that the two biggest matches on this don't really deliver. But again, even the, like I said, the the Hogan stuff, I think delivers on building to the next show, even if to, to many, even if it doesn't deliver like some fantastic match. And like we said, the undercard was all good to great. If you, you know, with that tag match and pushed along the mania storyline. So I think with that, you know, I don't think there's anything super consequential on this show, like as far as the matches and the stakes on this show by itself. But I think as like a, uh, you know, kicking us off on the build to WrestleMania 19, I think it accomplished that. You get the awesome tag match, undercard's pretty fun and solid. So, uh, yeah, I think I would probably end up going like a six and a half out of ten on this one, honestly, Gruny. Like, again, I'm giving it kind of those extra points in the in the sequel going into mania i think if you watch in a vacuum maybe probably i'd probably rate it a little lower but in the context of what i'm doing for the podcast i'd probably go about a six and a half out of ten yeah you know i was i almost wanted to give it a seven but i i'm gonna stick mm-hmm. with the sit with the six too um i'm gonna give it a six because um just the fact that that Triple H uh, Steiner match, everything else was hit like not even hit or miss. Like there were some good hits, you know. Even the Rock, mm-hmm. like you know, it's not that like the Rock and Hogan was a complete like miss. You know, they got some good right. baseball, like sing. They got some singles, you know, and like maybe a good double, right, but. Right. That Triple H Steiner match just struck out, you know, like. It was yes, just bad. Definitely. Yeah. Right. And, that, mm-hmm. and so, and I think you do have to wait that it is the only, you know, world title match on the show. So you kind of have to dock it a little bit more. But again, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it brings the whole show down that much because it is just that one match. And honestly, the whole show wasn't, I mean, even it wasn't even the biggest thing on Raw as they built on Raw. That was the Stone Cold thing. And I thought that delivered. So 
I think for, you know, again, a bridge show that's not really meant to be like in a vacuum, the greatest show ever. I think it hits pretty well. And I think they delivered. And after watching it, it got me pretty hyped to see the final push to, you know, what's going to end up being a pretty damn good mania. Probably an understatement, but yeah. So, <laughs> yeah right. So an interesting show for sure. But, uh, with that, we will get into our awards, Gurney. I think this will be pretty straightforward. Best match, I think we're both rocking that SmackDown tag. Yep. Um, best moment, uh, I think there's a few, but I think I'm going to have to go with the Austin return. Just that whole thing, the huge pop, just him being back after being gone for nearly a year. It's just a, a huge moment. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with the Austin return as well. Um, LVP, I'm going to have to go with Steiner just cause I thought every, almost everybody else on this show kind of played their role well, but Steiner just coming in, looking rough, getting, like you said, Grooney, just Canada shitting all over him, burying him, um, yeah. him just losing outright to triple H again, just, you know, a, a sad little swan song for world title contender, <laughs> Scott Steiner. Yeah. I'm going to have to go with Scott Steiner too, as the LVP, um, I don't know if it's like it seems like it's not all of his fault, but like the majority of it is like I think it is just because like the fans like hate him, you know, like so like if like if anything just like nailed the final uh, call, like nail in the coffin, it's the Montreal crowd. So, yeah, Steiner gets the LVP. <laughs> right. And again, there's nobody else really on this show that I thought was even really bad. Like I thought. Almost everybody else on this show kind of did what was expected of them or kind of delivered. Um, so, I almost he, went to Jeff Hardy uh-huh. because, like, I almost mm-hmm. thought that, like, he like he did a good performance, but they made him too much of an underdog. And I didn't really think he got a lot in as well. But then you look at Steiner, it's like he barely gets anything in, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, I think he's a worthy uh, LVP. MVP, I think there's a few candidates, but again, going off the same as the the best moment, I think I have to go Austin on this one. It was arguably the biggest thing that they built to. I mean, you could argue Rock Hogan was bigger, but I mean, the hype that they put behind him coming back and then them coming back and, you know, getting the pop and beating up Eric Bischoff, beating up Bischoff was all, I thought, pretty good. So I'm going to go with Austin as an MVP. Yeah, I'm going to go. It was tight, but um, you drew me. I'm going to go Stone Cold as well. I would have, but I'm going to go Stone Cold as well. But also it's like all of like my other like five or if it's like four guys, you know, everybody in that uh, tag match did did great. You know, like I think that like that's like Mm. the guys like to watch really. Yes, I would agree. So if we go into like our standout, so you would put everybody in that tag, I'd be with you on that. Yeah, I would like put like Brock, Benoit, Kurt. Ah, uh, who else? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Taker. Yeah, Taker. Uh, good. Yeah, I'd I like say... Taker. Rock yeah, I like for sure. Taker. I think... Yeah. It seemed like everyone was really good on this match, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, like I said, there's really not a lot of, you know, again, besides like Steiner and Triple H, that was kind of the low point. But 
it's I don't have too many complaints about what everybody you know everybody else on this I think put in pretty good work. I mean, they all seem pretty locked in on this show. So yeah, yeah. it's a you know I. It's hard. It, it, it's a fun little show. I, I would say put it on, and uh, especially if you plan on watching, if you're following along with me, I think it would be, it's a good show if maybe you don't want to watch all the TV going into WrestleMania 19, or you just kind of want to set the stage for 19, this is a good show, because it kind of locks you into all the storylines pretty well for uh, going into it. Yeah, it does. Yep. But anyway... That was uh that wraps us up, Grooney. It was uh, again kind of a quick hit show, but uh, like I said, this one was kind of short and sweet and to the point. Uh, you have anything that you want to plug? You have going on right now, Grooney? Yeah, by the time this drops, there'll be a new uh, episode of Extreme Resurrection over on the Place to Be Nation Wrestling feed, where me and Steve Riddle are full in 2007. We're at, we're in January of 2007. And uh, we're on our way to the Royal Rumble where, um, you know, um, looking for that number one contender who's going to fight for Bobby Lashley's title. Test is making a dive at the ECW title. And former TNA superstar Monty Brown debuts as Marcus Corvon. So we're covering those two episodes. Uh, My man, Monty Brown. That's awesome. Check that out. Riddle's a great guy, too. Um, I love that you guys are doing that pod together. Check out everything on the, uh, I don't know if it's the quad pod anymore because Jenny Position's kind of melded into the North-South, but check out the North-South, Jenny Position, um, her stuff on North-South, Place to be Nation Wrestling, the pop experience, the whole deal. Uh, thank you for coming on, Grooney. It's fun to talk this pay-per-view with you. I'm, I'm glad you requested a long time ago. I'm glad I could get you in to talk about it. And, uh, I'm excited to be on the road to WrestleMania. WrestleMania 19, if you were to ask me now what's my favorite Mania, it would be WrestleMania 19. So I'm very excited to dive into the build to it and then cover that show. It's kind of what I, sort of what I've been building to um, since I started the pod. Uh, started. It's like definitely the biggest milestone I'm, I've hit so far. I'd say the first one was SummerSlam 02. And so this is another big one. So it's cool that I've done the pod long enough to get to it. And I'm super hyped to be doing it. Uh, thanks to anybody who's been listening. And I hope you join me as we continue the journey in the Fort Mania. So uh, thank you, Bruni. And uh, I will see everybody next time on the, uh, yeah. the Progress Podcast. Thanks for having me. Anytime, Bruni. Later, everybody. Wake me up. Wake me up inside. I can't wake up.